I want to say a particular uh, welcome to those of you who are new here today. My name is Alex. I'm one of the pastors here and really just delighted if you're joining us here for the very first time. And what we're all about as a church is really simple. It's just about connecting, connecting people to God, to each other, so together we can engage our world for good. We hope you experience a little bit of all those things, whether you're here in person or online. Welcome, welcome, welcome. A little bit of family business before we jump into what we're talking about today with this new uh, new sermon series. Uh, if you're new here, one of the things you might not know about Chatham Community Church that we love the most is that this is a super generous-hearted group of people. I mean, people give so much time, so much effort, so much energy. I mean, isn't this gorgeous? Isn't the lobby gorgeous? Can we give the people a hand that like volunteers served? That was staff and volunteers. Thank you so much for all the work that y'all put into things. So this is a really, really generous, hearted community and gives a lot of time and effort and energy. Also, generous financially. In fact, over the last 10 years, the last decade, uh, we've had double-digit giving increases every single year except for 2020. We know what happened then, right? Amen. That's just how it was. So year over year, for over 10 years, 10%, 12%, 22%, almost 30% one year. It's just incredible how, how generous y'all have been. And so our fiscal year runs from July 1 to June 30. This is the midpoint of our fiscal year, and we're going to kind of hit a, a, a little bit of a, a giving update. So y'all know kind of where things are. This is our whole budget right there. Our full budget from July 1 to June 30 is one million one sixty five nine. Four, five. Now, if you divide that by 12, it's $97,000 a month, but it doesn't go out, come in this way. In fact, December is almost two months, so typically year-end giving is that big. So we're going to kind of add, divide that by 13, and uh, you get $90,000 a month plus a really large giving December. So here's where kind of our first few months of the giving has been uh, through the end of October. Uh, November, November numbers aren't in yet, but here's October's, kind of through October's giving. Uh, July, that's the beginning of our fiscal year, is uh, 83744 which is up 9% from July the year before. August was 86,658. Everyone was on vacation, yet you still gave. Way to go, y'all. Thank you very much. Uh, up 44% from August 2022, which is crazy. September dipped uh, 73,883, which is still up 13% from a year ago. And then October dipped again uh, down uh, 72,272, down 25% uh, from October 2022. Now, in part because we actually had the same conversation in October 2022 and said, hey, this is kind of where things are, and folks gave. So that's where things stand. Uh, things are up, but, uh, up from last year, but still uh, obviously a little bit on the low side. And uh, we recently ran some numbers, a couple things. One, October is actually our lowest attended month almost of the whole year. Isn't that, isn't that weird? We think it's because everyone's got like travel soccer and travel baseball, all, like all, everyone with kids is like just gone, right? And so uh, there's that. That's probably why October is a little low. Now, the other thing that we ran is that uh, if, even though our giving is down, you know, kind of uh, is up and down and all that kind of thing, we are up by 100 people from a year ago this time. Like we're up from like, yeah, 400 to 500 people. We're serving more people. Like, yeah, it's amazing. It's, it's amazing. We are doing, we, are, we have more people connected to Chatham Community Church than any other time in our history. We've recovered from COVID and beyond. So the Lord is doing really good things. We could not be more excited about uh, lives being changed here, marriages being healed here, families being put back together again, people being prayed for, cared for. The Lord is doing more good here at Chatham Community Church than ever before, and it happens in part through your financial generosity. And we also love doing crazy great things out in the community. Chatham serves back in early October. We, we had all kinds of good. We served all kinds of service projects, did all kinds of good across the community. And then the end of October, we did this community festival with a trunk or treat. We had 600 plus people. A few of you folks have come back since then. Welcome, welcome back. We're so glad you connected since the trunk or treat. Every one of those people in about 10 days is going to get a mailer inviting them to the biggest Christmas Eve party in Chatham County, right here at Chatham Community Church. We're going to invite everyone to come on back and celebrate. Good news, great joy. 
all people. All that happens in part through your financial generosity. So we want to lightly ring the bell here midway through the fiscal year. If this is your church home and you, if you have the means by which to do this, we invite you to help us to close this gap and give generously over the last half of the fiscal year starting in December so that we can continue to do the good work that we love to do. And if you can't afford to do that, no pressure, no worries. And we're not super stressed about this. Like if we have six months left in the fiscal year, if we need to make adjustments for the last half of the fiscal year, we will. And then we'll go into next year, kind of make sure that we're kind of uh, budgeting appropriately for what we have. So that's where things stand. And uh, we are delighted to share that, A, that this community continues to be super generous in all the ways. And we continue to look forward to what the Lord's going to do in Christmas season and into 2024. Thus endeth the family business meeting. Welcome, welcome, welcome to week one of our brand new series called uh, Christ in You, the Hope of Glory. Between now and Christmas, we're going to hunker down and settle in to the who of Christmas because so much of Christmas is about the what of Christmas, right? Like when you were a kid, like you went to the mall and there's a long line for Santa and you sat on Santa's lap and he asked you the question you were dying to answer. What do you want for Christmas, right? The what? What do you want for Christmas? I never got that pet cheetah I wanted, just for the record, I'm just saying. Of course, when you get to be older, like the, the what questions keep coming. Like, what are you doing for Christmas, right? And, you know, Jenna talked about this earlier. What kind of tree do you get? Are you an artificial or real tree? How many of you are team artificial tree? Go ahead. Oh, my goodness gracious. How many of you are team real tree? Okay, all right, we're going we're to reconciliation. We're going to bring people together here. It's a beautiful thing. And then, of course, what color lights do you use, right? How many of you are team white lights, team white lights? Oh, wow. How many of you are team crazy colors? Team crazy colors, I see you people. I love you. That's right. All right. Again, reconciliation, right? All kinds of what's around Christmas. What are you doing? What are you about? Right. And, and, and those are good things, right? We want to enjoy the what's about Christmas. So many great things to enjoy. But here's the, here's the problem when Christmas is all about the what. When Christmas is all about the what, it sets you up for the blahs. The January blahs, right? Because all those what's pass, all gone. When Christmas is all just about the what's, we're set up for the blahs. But when we hook into the who more than the what of Christmas, that's what releases the power of Christmas. That carries us way past when all the what's are packed away and put away and long gone. So we're going to spend the next few weeks in one of my favorite passages of Scripture that celebrates the who of Christmas. Jesus Christ, the Son of God the Savior of the world, good news, great joy for all people. And we're going to drill down into that who in the hopes that our hearts and our minds might get a hold of, deeply get a hold of, the good news of the who has come to save us, to bring hope to a weary and broken world. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 1. If you're brand new to the Bible, we're so glad that you're here. About, about the last quarter of the Bible are just letters written to brand new churches and brand new Christians. No one grew up Christian, right? No one grew up in, in churched in the, in the New Testament. Everyone's becoming Christians along the way. And so the Apostle Paul and, and his friends are starting lots of little churches across the Mediterranean. And, and the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the Colossians. Now, he didn't actually start the church. His friend Epaphras started the church in Colossae. But he writes a letter to the Colossians because he wants them to know uh, the full of, of who this person is that they're worshiping and who started this whole crazy thing called the, the, the way, the Christian movement, the church. And in Colossians 1, starting in verse 15, he unpacks one of the most sort of rigorous and dense and theological sort of thoughtful and beautiful reflections on the person of Jesus. Let's, we're going to look at just the few, first few verses here today. This is Colossians 1, 15, where Paul writes this. The Son is the image of the invisible God. Now, 
That's how he opens his big description of Jesus. Now, we just finished a six-week flyover of the whole Old Testament in, in six weeks. And part of the reason why we did that was because everyone who writes the New Testament, including Paul, loves the Old Testament and sees Jesus as the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And so when Paul declares that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, you know what he's tagging? Genesis 1, chapter 1. When God creates human beings, he says, I'm going to make those people in my image. You are going to be an image bearer. That's how God creates. That's what, that's what God creates. And so Paul's tagging this Genesis 1 picture, right? To be made in God's image means this, that you are wired up. You are so wired up with the potential that everything that you do releases something of God into this world. That's what it means to be made in God's image. You're wired up so that everything, every time you did anything, you would release something of God's goodness, God's grace, God's love, God's truth, God's justice, God's beauty into the world. To be made in God's image means you have potential to release a little bit of God through poured through your personality into the world. Turn to your neighbor, say neighbor. Turn to your neighbor, say neighbor. You have potential. And maybe the person on the other side has more potential than them, but that's okay. We won't talk about that. You're wired up with all kinds of potential to release more of God's goodness and beauty and truth into the world. Now, of course, sin comes in and clogs that, right? Clogs that flow. It, it dis it's disrupted. It's not perfect. We're going to talk more about that throughout the course of this series. But to be made in God's image means that you have the potential to release more of God into the world. That's what it means to be made in God's image. So when Paul tags this Colossians 1 passage where he says, the Son is the image of the invisible God, he's saying that just like a little bit like we're made in the image of God, here's the perfect image bearer. Even before he was embodied, even before he put on flesh, the son is the perfect image of God the Father. And then when he puts on flesh, at every turn, something of God's character is being poured through him into the world, right? Every conversation he has, every time he heals someone, every time he teaches, every time he has conflict with the religious leaders, at every turn, at every conversation, every step, something of God's goodness and beauty and truth is being poured through Jesus into a broken and weary world to make it less broken and more beautiful. That's what it means that Jesus himself, the son, is the perfect image bearer of the invisible God. Now, one of, the, one, of the, one of the conversations I have regularly with people around here is with people who are either doubting faith, struggling with faith, or new to faith, kind of exploring faith for the first time. And they often ask me questions. In fact, someone asked me this question about a month ago. Is all this just supposed to be blind faith? Just blind faith, trust it, and step out into it. And what I said to this person was, not at all, actually. If you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. Jesus has shown you. What God looks like, what God's character is like, how you know you can trust God and who this God is. In fact, at one point, Jesus is so audacious, he makes the same claim for himself. One of his disciples says to Jesus, Jesus, would you please show us the Father? Here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. You want to know what God's like? You don't trust God. You're scared of God. You're mad at God. You're relentless God. You're, you're, you're ambivalent about God. doesn't matter. Look to Jesus. He shows you exactly what God the Father looks like. My, uh, my parents are here today. Mom, dad, hello. I am so much like my dad, like scarily like my dad. Dad, sorry about that. I hope that doesn't reflect poorly on you. Any of you know people who are a lot like their parents, like look like them, mannerisms, talk like them, act like them, right? Like, listen, the son is the perfect, the perfect image of God, his good father. He shows us what God the father looks like, but not just that. Here's the crazy thing about what Jesus is. Here's why Jesus is so, so good. Jesus is the perfect image of God and shows us what, God's look like, what God looks like. And he's also the perfect human image bearer who shows us what humans are supposed to look like. Jesus both shows us 
what God the Father looks like. And he shows us what would have happened, what we might have looked like if we hadn't fallen into sin. If sin hadn't corrupted us, gotten in the way, everything that you and I did would also release more of God, more beauty, more, more, beauty, more truth, more grace, more righteousness into the world. Jesus shows us both who God is and shows us who we one day will be. Fully redeemed image bearers, restored. All those who trust in Jesus Christ will become like him, look like him, live like him in a redeemed, restored world. This is why the who of Christmas so much better than the what. Because if you get your mind around who Christmas is all about and what he has done and what he has come to do, then you join your voices with angels singing glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, blessing, grace, shalom to men and women on whom his favor rests. Now, part of what's confusing about this Colossians 1 passage, it's very dense, is that Paul is bouncing all over the timeline. He's got, he, goes to, he goes to the creation, he goes to before the creation, he goes to the resurrection. We're going to talk about Christmas, we're going to talk about Easter, we're going to talk about before in the beginning. In fact, so Colossians 1.15 actually picks up before in the beginning. Here's the, a larger chunk of the passage that Sean just read for us on the, on the video. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, put a flag on that word, come back to that word in a little bit, over all creation, or the one who was before all creation, because for in, him, for in him all things were created, things in earth and on heaven, visible and invisible, with the thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So before in the beginning, before anything was made, there's the Father and the Son. And the Son looks just like the Father. And the Father and the Son go to work. And they go to work creating everything that exists. And everything that was created, every single thing that you can see, feel, touch, even things you can't see, feel, touch, are created in him, through him, by him, and for him. All these delightful little prepositional phrases for those of you who are like grammar nerds. All these places where everything happens, everything that exists is sort of created in and held together by him. And then all exists for him. Everything that's created is created for the son, for Jesus. Here's the thing. All of us have a hunger for purpose or meaning to our lives. Like, why am I here? Right? What am I here? What am I here to do? And that question sounds differently in your 20s, in your 30s, in your 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. Why am I here? What am I here to do? This hunger for meaning and for purpose. And it plays out in all kinds of different ways, right? Answer in all kinds of different ways. Some people feel like, I'm here to make money. I'm here to climb a ladder. I'm here to be successful. I'm here to, to build a reputation. I'm here to build a platform. I'm here to get applause or approval. Or I, I'm here to travel and see the world or even raise kids or have grandkids. Like, listen, any of those things could be valuable and good. But at various points along the way, we struggle with purpose. And some of us struggle with meaning. And there's all kinds of reasons why that happens. I mean, mental health, depression, the suffocating part about depression is losing that sense of purpose or meaning. But, but my friends, for some of us, the reason why our lives feel purposeless is because they are because you were made for Jesus. And apart from finding your purpose and meaning in, in the Lord, you're never gonna have true fulfillment of why you're here on this earth. Something much bigger than you is what you're invited into. You are here because you were created by the Lord, through the Lord, in the Lord, for the Lord Jesus Christ, that you might cast your lot in with his purposes here on the earth. Now. 
The great thing about this passage is it's not just like God kind of creates you, winds you up and says, go figure it out or get out there or here's the game plan and go, and go kind of make this happen. It also says, is emphatic about this, that all things hold together in Jesus Christ. The all of creation, everything that's ever created, all the galaxies to the forest and the cosmos, to the smallest atom, to every cell in your body, right here, right now, held up, held together, saturated by Jesus. Every second of every single day is held together in him. Let me see if I can illustrate this in some way, shape, or form here. All right. This bowl, we'll say, is, is the sun. Note, not the scale. And this sponge is everything created to the farthest galaxy that we know exists. And this is reality. Every single moment, every square inch of all of creation is saturated and held together in Jesus Christ. Close your eyes for a second. Just close your eyes just for a second. The breath you're taking right now is saturated with Jesus. Your heartbeat, the cells in your heart, saturated with Jesus. The space around your head between you and the person behind you or beside you, full, held together every second, every day by Jesus Christ himself. Lord Jesus, we live and move and breathe in a you-saturated universe. We rest in you, we hope in you, we trust in you. You are king of kings and lord of lords. You have authority over all creation. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. 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 Next time, you're in a hard spot. You're in a difficult spot. You're in a difficult situation. I want to invite you to come back to that image. That you and every person involved in your situation, medical situation, job situation, marriage situation, extended family situation, kids going off the rails, every person involved is held together by Jesus Christ. In fact, I want to give you a little bit of prayer here. Here's a little prayer that you can pray, right? Here's a little prayer that you can pray. Next time you're in a hard spot, that kind of brings you back to this moment. Lord, you're holding me and all things together right now in this moment. I hope in you and in your mighty power. A good friend of mine said when her marriage was in a really, really dark season for many, many months, this passage and this hope of Jesus holding them together, even when they weren't together, even when they were at odds against each other, the, the hope that she had of Jesus' witness and saturating that house and those hard conversations, that's what kept her through and kept them together. I invite you to lean into it. Now, Paul talks, so Paul starts this description at the creation, right? Before, in the beginning, all things made by him, for him, and through him. And then Paul skips ahead on the timeline to a, a, an event that happened just a few decades before, Jesus, before Paul writes this, letters, this letter, and that is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Here's how he picks up in verse 18. That Jesus, the Son, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. All right, here at Chatham Community Church, we have a few avid golfers. How many of you are golfers, golfer avid or recreational golfers? Here's my question to you golfers. When did you have 10 million hours of free time to get remotely good at golf? At no point in my life did I have 10,000 million hours of free time to get remotely good at golf, and so I am just terrible at golf and haven't played very much. But, um, but, but here's, here, there's a delightful little thing that particularly amateurs in the golfing world have, this little delightful little tradition that amateurs use. It's called the mulligan. And a mulligan is what happens when you, hit, when, you, when you hit the ball, hit the golf ball, and of course, if you're not good, it goes 10 million different directions other than where you wanted it to go. 
And so a mulligan is just you shrug, you put another ball down exactly where you want it, where it was, and then you try again, right? Now, uh, now mostly it's used by amateurs, but I think it's a delightfully generous way to invite people into the game. In fact, here's what I propose. I, would, I think it'd be wonderful that if every human being throughout the course of your life had three mulligans in your life, wouldn't that be great? To take back something you regret. To change a decision that you shouldn't have made. Wouldn't it be fantastic if you had three mulligans over the course of your life? Like, you can't beg, borrow, or steal someone else's mulligans, right? No, like, no, it doesn't roll over. If someone dies, it has one left over, right? Like, just three mulligans to try over. Now, in the real world, it doesn't work that way usually. But as Paul is talking about creation, and as Paul is talking about what God has done in the Son to create all things, he declares crazily that God is taking a mulligan on this beautiful creation. Here's what he says. Before in the beginning, Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. That is Colossians 1, 15, right? That's the very beginning. And then he does this crazy thing where he pulls the same language. He talks about this restart, the mulligan. He is the beginning. That's Genesis 1 language, right? In the beginning, God created. Jesus now is the beginning again. There's a new beginning, a new start. And again, the firstborn from among the dead. There was life in the beginning that goes sideways because of sin and death. God creates us in his image. We hand, the, we hand the keys to this place over to sin and death. And then when all that goes sideways, Jesus sort of steps in and says, There's gonna be a, we need a new beginning, a restart, a mulligan to restart this whole thing. And so he steps in, he puts on flesh. He is the second Adam who comes and, and succeeds where the first Adam fails. And he comes to, re, to inaugurate the beautiful thing of what God wants to do, which is to restart and reboot and reclaim this whole thing, to renew this whole thing. His resurrection, he is the firstborn from among the dead, i.e. there's lots more coming. All of us who trust in Jesus will be like him, will be raised to new life just like he was. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. He's not the first one to be raised from the dead, of course. Like his good friend Lazarus, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead uh, in, in, in John 12. Now here's, here's Lazarus' poor story. Lazarus has to die twice, poor guy, sucker. He dies once, he dies again, right? He's not, so Lazarus is not, Lazarus is resuscitated, Jesus is resurrected. He gets a whole new body, resurrection body. It's never going to die again. Doesn't get old, doesn't age, doesn't go wrong. In fact, his new body is so real that he passes through locked doors and walls in the New Testament stories. It's not because he's a ghost, not because he's thin and, and vaporous and the wall is thick. Actually, he's more real than the wall. He's like an airplane flying through a cloud. He's so real. Everything else barely exists. And one day, one day, my friends, all of us who trust in Jesus Christ will have resurrected bodies as well that will not age, will not grow old, will not get sick, will never die again. Jesus is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that he might have the supremacy, supremacy, supreme power over sin and death. And here's the deal. Jesus has the supremacy over sin and death. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And how does he use that authority? What's he going to do with that kind of power? You know what he's going to do? He's going to use his power, his authority, to restart this whole thing. Isn't that awesome? He's using his power, his authority, to redeem and restart everything. And this morning, if you're here today wishing you could have a restart, if you're here today, and when I talk about mulligans, you're like, I'd like to take a mulligan right now. 
If you're here today and you know things are not good, not how they should be, and maybe there's decisions you made that you regret and feel bad about, you are exactly in the right place. Good news, great joy. The Lord has come to restart everything, including you. And you know what you get to do? You bring your sin, your shame, and your guilt. Let nothing stand in the way. Nothing is more powerful than the power of the cross and the power of the Lord who is supreme over sin and death forever and ever. You just bring all your junk, you hand it over to him, and then you say, here it is. I'm willing to be your disciple for the rest of my life. Follow him and watch what he might do because he might do more than you could ask or imagine to restart, redeem, renew you because that's what he's come to do. Good news, great joy, the restart for all people. That's not just good news for us here. It's also good news for those that we love. Those who we love, those of us who are believers, who have friends and family who aren't Jesus people, right? Almost all of us have friends and family that we love that are far from the Lord, who we long to see meet the Lord. Now here's the good news. Every person, every human being that you come eyeball to eyeball with who doesn't know the Lord, they are, they are Jesus's two times over. They're Jesus's one because Jesus created them, right? If you invent something, you create something, it's yours. You knit a sweater, it's yours. You invent the formula for Coca-Cola, it's yours, right? If you create something, it's yours. When we sold it out to the devil, literally, when we gave it over to, 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 to sin and death, you know what Jesus does? He buys it back with his blood. That's what redemption means. It's a purchase price. It's slave language. You redeem a slave. He's redeemed us from slavery to sin and death. And so every single human being that you meet is Jesus two times over, once by virtue of creation, second time by virtue of his redemption on the, on the cross. And so, my, and so, my friends, those of us who know and love Jesus, I want to invite you to pray a Christmas prayer for the friends and family that don't know the Lord. And that Christmas prayer sounds something like this. My friend, my family member, this person I love is yours, Lord Jesus, twice over. You created them and you've purchased them back from sin and death by your blood. I declare the power of Christ over them and pray they might receive it with great joy. Every single person, including you if you're not a Jesus person, we're so glad you're here. You are Jesus' two times over. He created you. He redeemed you by his blood. We claim that over you. You have to receive it. You have to rejoice in it. You have to accept it. But my prayer is that you might accept it. And my prayer is, listen, how great would it be if every single one of us had friends or family members who actually said yes to that prayer? How great would it be? What a great Christmas present. Wouldn't it be a great Christmas present for every believer in here if someone that you loved said yes to the, to the one who created them and redeemed them and has come to set them free? Come, Lord Jesus. That's our prayer. That's our request. That the Lord would give us the great Christmas gift of those that we love. Today's wildly important take-homes. A few things from this passage I want to invite you to sort of sit in as the course of the course of this week as we start the series together. One, lasting joy, lasting peace is found in the who of Christmas. So we want to invite you to enjoy the what of Christmas. By all means, enjoy the what. Fake tree, real tree, white lights, color lights. Enjoy all that stuff, right? But worship the son who has come because when your life is out, when Christmas is just about the what, it sets you up for the blahs. But when Christmas is about the who, it sets you up for joy and peace everlasting. Second, the son is a perfect image bearer who shows us both who God is. How, why can you trust God? Why should you trust God? How can you trust God the Father? Because Jesus shows you exactly what the Father looks like. And he also shows us what we will one day look like, what we could have looked like, what we will look like again as he is the perfect image bearer, showing us what redeemed perfect image bearers one day will look like and sh should look like. So he, he's a particular person, a particular place, and there's particular ways it plays out. But my friends, the same spirit that was on Jesus is in us who believe in him. And so there's a way where you are also still wired up with all this potential to demonstrate something of God's goodness, God's grace, God's love, even, even in the midst of the biggest difficult challenges, even if you're 
driving a car, for example, or dealing with your in-laws, for example. There are ways that you can pour out something of God's character into every situation. Avail yourself to that. Open yourself up to that and see what the Lord might do. Next, here's a prayer that you can pray. The one who holds all things together, created all things, invites us to pray and trust in him. Lord, you're holding all things together, me and all things together in this moment, in this situation. No matter what's going on, I'm putting my hope in you. I'm putting my trust in you. And I trust in you and your mighty power. A little Christmas prayer for some, those of you who are in a hard, difficult season and stretch. And finally, Jesus is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything he might have the supremacy, all authority in heaven and earth given to him. And how is he using that authority? How is he using that supremacy? He's using it to change the world, to redeem this whole thing, to make it beautiful again. And so there's an invitation for us to worship the son, worship the king, to trust in him. And we pray for, the, for our friends and family members who are far from the Lord. Our prayer is that they might know the one who created them and has already redeemed them. Our prayer is they might come home to Jesus this Christmas season to know his beauty, his love, his truth, his forgiveness, his peace. The one who has, the, the one who has come to usher us into glory. Today we celebrate him. As we move to our time of communion, in order for Jesus to be supreme and have authority over all things, he has to lay down his life, give himself up for this whole broken creation. So on the night he's betrayed, he's in a small room with some friends, takes ordinary things and makes them extraordinary. He takes ordinary bread and he breaks it and says, this is my body given for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. Then he takes the cup. He says, this is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins that I might purchase you back from sin and death forever I'm going to pour out my blood for you and for your salvation that night he's betrayed by one of his closest friends went through a mock trial suffers and dies on the third day he's raised again with a resurrected body that will never die again but it still has nail scarred hands still has nail scarred hands He's the king of kings, lord of lords, forever and ever and ever with nail-scarred hands who has given up his life for you and for me to unleash the redemption story, the restart, the mulligan, to sort of renew everything and to make all things new. And we're invited in. You're invited in to come be a part of this great, sweeping, beautiful thing, God's kingdom coming, God's will being done all across earth as it is in heaven until one day he comes and makes all of us new. That's what we celebrate as we gather around these tables. As we move to the tables, a few small logistics. The, the bread is gluten-free. The cup is grape juice. So everyone's invited. If you're at home, we invite you to get some bread and some juice at home. And then uh, as you come up, we invite you to sort of get these elements and then bring them back to your seats. And then we'll eat and drink together. A quick word about these tables. This table belongs to Jesus. So if you belong to Jesus, these tables belong to you. If you're not yet a Jesus follower or if you're still exploring things, we're so glad you're here. We just ask you to hold back and wait on this. Or maybe... Say yes to it. Today, as we usually have, prayer room is available for you. If you're here this morning and want to say yes to the, re to the restart, if you're here today and you want to say yes to the redemption story God wants to write in your, in your story, if you're here today and you want to say yes for the first time or for the first time in a long time to give yourself over to the Lord, prayer team is there and available for you. Prayer team is also there for you if you've got medical news, you've got family issues, you've got struggles, worries, anxieties of any kind, or issues of any kind, or challenges of any kind. The prayer team is there, and we'll be glad to pray for you. I invite you, let them release a little bit more of Jesus, a little more of the Spirit into your life. See what the Lord might do with that. We're going to move now to our time of communion. Again, we're going to sing a song, invite you to go to the tables whenever you're ready. Bring those elements back to your chairs at home. Bring those elements back to your chairs as well, and we'll eat and drink together. Let me pray for us as we start and move into our time of communion. 
Lord Jesus, you are good. Your mercies endure forever. And these elements are just pictures of your mercies. So we ask now, Lord Jesus, the supreme King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who is the resurrected king over all of creation, would you, would you in your kindness, stoop here to this space and meet us? Would you, in your kindness, awaken hope in us? Awaken mercy in us. Awaken strength in us we didn't know we had. Would you, through these elements, draw us into the good news, the great joy for all people, the story you're writing, redeeming this whole world, including us, right here, right now, in this moment. So come, Lord Jesus, awaken us and quicken us, and meet us here with these simple elements. We ask in your strong mighty name. Amen.